Jen Bosworth Ramirez. And I'm Gina Polici. We went to theater school together. We survived it, but we didn't quite understand it. 20 years later, we're digging deep, talking to our guests about their experiences and trying to make sense of it all. We survived theater school, and you will too. Are we famous yet? Yeah. Adorable. Anyway, how are you? walking a lot you know I'm on this new sort of health journey um you, you know it's interesting we're supposed to be well we're look if we lived in a society that was equal and which we know we don't we're supposed to be spending a lot more money on food than we spend uh groceries um in, in, in as people and less money on garbage food right but you really I mean you must know this as having a family you know a bigger family than I do like a lot of money gets spent on food, if, especially if you buy healthy foods. Oh my, Manaja. I was like at the Whole Foods and I, I literally bought like not a lot of stuff and it was like $132. And I was like, what? I just, I literally feel like I just bought sweet potatoes. How is this $132? But yeah, but I'm doing it because, you know, I'm fortunate enough to have the dough and that's what I'm supposed to be spending it on right now. And so, when you don't buy crap and you don't eat out at fast food restaurants or, I mean, I wasn't like a fast food junkie, but we ate out at like fast food. Like we would eat at Jack in the box every couple weeks or like in LA or like here, not so much here, but yeah, there. So I have, I cut all that out, the junk food part, the fast food part and um spending it on groceries now. So it's just a weird shift of where the finances go, you know, which feels good in a way. I mean, I, I mean, look, it's better to spend. I'd rather support, you know, Amazon. I, <laughs> I guess I'd rather support Amazon than than uh, McDonald's. I suppose is what I'm saying. <laughs> really, they're yeah, all owned by the same person, probably. They're all. I know. It's all. Yeah, exactly. But, but so, how do you feel? Do you? Hey, feel? let me run this by you. It leads me to the, the what I wanted to run by you, which is that. I've been thinking today about who would I be, you know, like if we, if, if in the nature nurture argument, you're really trying to distill or tease apart what, what is your nature, like who you came into Mm -hmm. this world being. Mm -hmm. And the only way I know to get any glimpse of it is like when when you do something one way for a very long time and then for whatever reason you're exposed to doing it a different way and you're like, oh, this makes so much more sense. Like this other way I was doing it never quite worked, but I never questioned it because that's just how things were done, right? Um, Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that's one way I know to understand what your essential nature is. But it's so difficult to tease apart your essential nature from how you're raised and everything that I, I just was wondering like, who really, who would I be? And the, what made me think about it is I was listening to an interview with Fran Lebowitz, who I think is oh, so yeah. great. And, you know, um, she was on fresh air. And so Terry Gross was asking her, have you been lonely during, you know, in these 10 months? Cause she, and actually she's been in her apartment even longer than that. Cause for, there was a different reason she was, she hadn't left her or maybe she'd, she'd left her apartment, but she hadn't left New York since maybe like February. Mm-hmm. And she said, no, I, I, I'm, I'm never, ever lonely. I, I keep myself company just fine. And I, I and she's a writer. Uh, 
And so basically she, she fills her time with reading and writing and, and she doesn't have a, a computer or a cell phone. So she still communicates with people by, by landline. And I thought, okay, there's a universe in which that is me. There's a universe in which I am completely content by myself, reading and writing, and not like being so involved with all the stuff in life that I feel sometimes really brings me down. Now, that's not to say like I'm, I made the wrong choices or I'm, it's just to say like I can imagine a version of me that's that. Interesting. I, yeah, I could see you. I could totally see that. There is a version of me that is like that for like three days. <laughs> so there isn't really a version of me like that, but there, but I could see you totally, totally doing that. You know, the other person that comes to mind that has that similar vibe is Jack White, doesn't have a cell phone, doesn't have, um, he's just such a, he's a weirdo, but he also, um, is the kind of person who is never like they asked him the similar thing. Like, don't you, don't you miss feeling connected? He said, no, I feel most connected when I, when I'm just at home making my music in my, you know, million dollar mansion, you know, whatever, whatever. But he, but similar thing, like he doesn't feel some people don't need. Yeah. Some people just don't need that. And that's, I think you're right. That's in their, their nature. Mm -hmm. Their nature is to, that's a similar people who live off the land kind of Mm -hmm. folks where you're like, Oh, they just have a different wavelength of, of yeah. being. I feel like I fall somewhere in between, but I also feel like, and this comes back to the theater school of like knowing yourself or not knowing yourself. Like, I feel like I haven't really discovered that yet. Like I could be that person. Maybe, maybe. I don't know what my true, you know, my true um, nature is. I don't see you being, uh, you know, alone. And I, I mean, I think you, are essentially an extrovert. I think you get your a lot, lot of energy yeah. from other people. But so I, then I was trying to imagine like who you would be if you, you know, didn't have any hangups because your family, you know, whatever, it's something, right. something that could never be because nobody can live life without hangups, but um, without, <laughs> and I would see you just being like a really carefree fun loving spontaneous (laughs) you know just like lightning in a bottle type person yeah yeah I think that's probably true yeah and maybe you'd be like running a yoga commune in you know San Ysidro Valley Oh, that actually sounds great. That sounds great. Yeah, I I agree. I I totally could get down with that. But I see you. I I totally could see you as the Fran Lebowitz type, you know, and and um, because you, you I think you said this, too, on this podcast is that in your nature, you're not so much searching for like fame and acceptance as as much as personal power, you know, like personal personal ownership. And I think that's something that when I see Fran Leibovitz, I think that she's got that up the wazoo. This, she does not give a shit what you think. I mean, like she's just doesn't. So he, and, and there are other people like him, have a, 
he has a way of making you think, and a lot of people do, some people do this, that he is the one exception to every rule. Whether it's white dude rule, whether it's young person rule, whether it's hipster rule, he is going to be the exception to the rule of across all stereotypes. And people buy into that. And they're like, yeah, but he's really this and that and the other. No, dude, he's a white dude that got by on privilege and and was discovered and ha- is talented. I would say talented, but not a G, whatever. Just, do you do you watch Succession? No, but everyone tells me to watch it. That it's just so brilliant. You must. And I sent you my HBO login. And yeah, yeah. I don't know. Okay, it's you, you must. I hate it when people say this to me. But, so you, oh, I'm not going to say it to you. I'm not going to tell you. You must watch it. I'm going to tell you that one of the things, one of the billion things I love about this television series, okay. and I love this television series, is. Uh, one of the main characters is is what you're describing. He's the billionaire who considers himself not a spoiled little boy, and he, you know, he, there's all these scenes of him like he's a white guy listening to hip hop and buying cool sneakers and and you know just thinking the world of himself. And this actor plays it him so 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 perfectly that's a whole type that's a whole i'm not a regular guy i'm a blah blah guy and it's it's always whenever somebody's saying that it's like that no you are the regular guy (laughs) you are the person you think right right and i think that's that could be said about this this person we're talking about you are the thing that you think you aren't and the way I know that is that you keep apologizing in your own way for being the thing that you think you are. And at the same time you're apologizing, you're really flexing. It's so, exactly. it's so gross. It's they, so they, need to have a, they need to have a word that's like humble brag, but it's like for the flex apology. It's like flex apology. That's what it is. My flex apology. Oh, it's just. <laughs> wow. We have Jonas Avery, who was a child. I mean, I think of him as a child star, really. Oh, when uh, he showed up at the theater school, everybody was like, Jonas Avery is Jonas here. Avery. So you may know him from Running on Empty with River Phoenix. He was the River Phoenix's little brother. But he also was in a bunch of plays and was discovered that he did do Broadway. And, then, and now he's an amazing English public school teacher in um, Brooklyn. Yeah, Very and exciting. he's a great example of how not everybody who uh, went to theater school finds success in the same thing. I mean, he, but he absolutely found success. He loves his life. He says that 50 times. He loves what he does. And I, I, I don't think he, he's, I think he is grateful to the theater school for, yeah. You know, yeah. So we're so excited to have Jonas Avery. Let's get it on. Let's get it on. Oh. You survived theater school. Congratulations. Well, kind of. I mean, I guess, uh, yeah, I did. I did survive theater school. Uh, two theater schools, actually, for that matter. And Plot twist. I didn't know about this. Yeah, I got cut. I got cut after second year from DePaul. So I went to NYU. I had an, a manager at the time who got me an interview at NYU after interviews were supposedly done. I did my audition. I got in. I finished pretty much on time with uh, at Tisch School of the Arts. But uh, so I did, I was class of 97. But uh, yeah, 
You might have lucked out then. <laughs> I think you lucked out. I, I, it all worked out. Every everything that I hoped. I mean, I, I I keep thinking about all of the obstacles that I've gone through, and you know, in the giant scheme of things, these are not real obstacles. Uh, you know, in the, in this world that we live in, uh, but you know, I was never homeless. I never had to deal with real suffering. Uh, more pride than anything else, but. Going through the, I mean, I'm, I'm in a spot now where I don't think I could be happier. You know, when, when all is said and done, it, 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 I'm, I'm in a, I mean, I minus the COVID, you know, it, it, that 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 would be nice, you know, but uh, but you know, the job I have, I love. I'm married with two wonderful kids. I love my wife. I love my life. It, it's 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 a good thing. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Well, what I was referring to a little bit tongue in cheek is just that you're you're the first person we're talking to who can give us the real scoop about something other than the theater school because we all have only had the same experience. So, uh, we have uh, we've been told that some of the stuff that happened at DePaul did not happen at other theater schools. Maybe maybe yes, maybe no. So like, um, I can tell you like just a little bit like the boundary issues that we kind of saw with teachers and students and the kind of feedback we got. And was it the same, like, what was your experience like at NYU in terms of the difference between maybe the theater school at DePaul and the theater school at Tisch? Um, okay. So <laughs> it's, it's been so long. Um, I think, for me, and this is one of the, 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 the elements where I didn't have to worry about being cut at NYU. And so going into NYU uh, and knowing that I was graduating, as long as my, my GPA was, was, was good, I was graduating when I'm supposed to graduate in 1997. So it, it was going to be fine. With NYU, yeah, the the pressure. I mean, that was always the big thing for me is, is that the pressure of having someone. Uh, we might have sounds for my children coming from another room. Just, just okay. Up. Um, uh, the pressure of possibly being told, you know. And I remember what getting that the list that first year of like it was like it was like your 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 notes your 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 feedback and it was like if you had one or two you were safe but if you had 17 you might as well just call the moving company because you're, you're not staying and i remember the first year I, I was fine and then the second year i had a bunch and i went and i, I remember speaking to rick murphy and 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 then a bunch of people and just and going through and they all gave me 17 different pieces of feedback that were not really and so for a person who can very easily live inside his head. Um, this made it that much more pressurized. And and I think that that kind of stuck with me. I mean, as as a child actor, I was dealing with rejection, but it was it wasn't rejection in the fact that it was fun. Right. I was I was still just a kid. I was going to auditions on the side. It was it was an adventure. I was living in Westchester County and my mom and I would jump on a, on a, a Metro North train and go into the city and hang out and probably go to uh uh, get a hot dog, a Sabrex hot dog or something. And, you know, we just have a hot pretzel. Just do all these fun things that as a kid, you're like, I'm in New York City. You know, it it, it, it was great. And so when I booked something, it was fantastic. When 
there were a couple of times where I didn't book something that I thought I was really close on. And that was kind of disappointing. But as I got older, you know, the pressure just started. And, you know, that kind of feeling that it was more, it wasn't about having fun anymore. It was about making sure that I would stay with my friends, with, with you guys, with everybody who lived with me in that apartment with Eric and Dan and, and, you know, and, 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 you know, have the, the fun and, uh, and, and just really have that college experience. And then next thing you know, they're like, yeah, well, bye. And I'm on a plane back to New York. And I remember, uh, you know, my parents, my, my dad was like trying to get me back in. And I was like, dad, they don't want me. And I, I don't want to be that guy who's like, please, please take me back, take me back. So luckily everything worked out with the NYU. And I actually, my best friend from high school was there. We became roommates immediately. Uh, Charlie, Charlie, Charlie. Yes. Yes. You remember Charlie, Charlie uh, became uh, my roommate and we found an apartment first on 14th street, then on 28th street in Murray Hill. And he graduated a year before I did, but uh, we had a great time and it was, it was relaxing and I was able to enjoy you know, school, other than the fact that I did miss the campus of DePaul, there was no campus at NYU, there's Washington Square Park, which is great if you people want to sell you drugs, but it's not really, uh, it's not a campus, it's, it's, you don't get to just sit around and see other people from school. Yeah, that, that was an advantage of DePaul, advantage of DePaul. So I'm wondering, like, maybe it was the fact that you really learned how to act for film. Do you think that was the issue about theater school? I don't know. I mean, I, I started off in the theater. I mean, that's uh, my, my, oh, right. my, my, my first big break was uh, first big break. I had one big break, uh, two, maybe, um, uh, was Coastal Disturbances that uh, actually is having a reunion in the next couple of days, uh, which is so cool. That's so cool. It, 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 it really it's it, and it's funny because it was what two days after. Annette Benning, personal assistant, reached out to me that uh, that Jen reached out to me, and then suddenly I was, uh, I and, and 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 Gina, you you became my friends on friend on Facebook like instantaneously, um, and it was just like now I may actually have closure, and yet you know because for me with acting, you know I that pressure of of trying to please everyone. In the audition, please everyone, please my teacher. Right? It, 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 it stopped. It became more of trying to make the powers that be like what I'm doing, and I. It wasn't helping, and so you know, I didn't really take on acting after that. I, I, I was an actor. I had an agent a little bit. I had voiceover agent, and I was trying to get stuff, but you know. I ran into some real issues there. And then one day, uh, I was on Real Thin Ice with my voiceover agent. Uh, they, it was 2004. Uh, they called me in for an audition to, uh, and they said it was for the Democratic Party. I'm like, okay, I'm a Democrat. I'll, I'll definitely go in and, and do an audition and whatever. But it turns out it was for Joe Lieberman, who at that time had left the party to become an independent because of the war. And I sat there and I thought to myself, you know what? This is it. This is my moment. This is a, where I'm going to say I'm going to sell out or I'm going to, stand by my morals and and do this. And I said, I'm not doing it. I'm sorry. And I walked out and basically I had, I had the job. If I wanted it, I I was going to do it. And I called, I called the agency up and I said, I'm, I'm sorry. You said it was the Democratic Party. It wasn't. It was Joe Lieberman and I'm, I can't do this. And I walked away and I never heard from the agency again. And that. And so wow. it, it was this 
I love the idea. You know, it's, it's that moment of what would you do in this situation? Would you take the moral high ground or would you take the money? And like, it was like, I'd take the moral high ground. And I basically ended my acting career in doing so. So I, I want to just bring up that um, something that always stuck out for me about you um, in our college experience and after is that that was sort of something that I always thought you did was take the moral high ground. Like I remember you in class and stuff saying if something wasn't right or if something didn't yes. sit with you, you called it. You yes. you said something. And I always thought that was the coolest thing because, you know, and Gina and I talk about how, you know, well, I'll just say for me, my head was so far up my ass. I had no idea what was going on. But you seem to know you had like this um, groundedness about you that like you called. So I, I think this is a theme for you, like from outside looking in. I mean, I, I'd love to say that that is the way I would look at it too. I think there was a a certain amount of, I was putting on a bit of airs. I was, I was, I, I was you know, there, there's a, a Vonnegut quotation from Mother Night. Uh, you are what you pretend to be. So you got to be careful what you pretend to be. And I knew what I wanted to be. And I, and I think that there were parts of me that, you know, like when I was wearing the fedora and smoking the pipe and wearing the black. Oh, the pipe. That's right. So um, there, there, there was a, a certain amount of, of, of play. Yeah, it's like play acting. Like- I mean, I remember someone said it to me in, in, in high school right near the end is like, it might have been Charlie. I don't, I don't remember who said it because he was a year ahead of me. So he was in college. He was at NYU uh, in 92. But um, this this idea that uh, when you go to college, you can remake yourself into anything you want. And I did. And I feel like I did for about a year. That's when the fedora and the pipe and the and then I started inhaling the pipe and I went to a tobacconist and said, how bad is that? And he said, you might as well be smoking two packs of cigarettes. So of course I switched to cigarettes and then, cause everybody was smoking and go into, into uh, what, what was the name of the, the, the place where we played pool and video games and ate and. Oh yeah. One of the, the dining hall, whatever that was called. Um, and, and, you know, and so I, everyone else was smoking. So I started smoking and it was, you know, 10 years of two and a half packs a day. So it was just, Oh God. Yeah. yeah I mean, you quit, right? You oh, quit. Uh, March 23rd, 2003. Congratulations. Good for you. So how did acting start? I mean, you were obviously very young when you started, how did that whole process begin? So my dad was a real estate broker uh, in Westchester and in Elmsford, New York, they were building uh, a dinner theater. And the dinner theater was called, oh my God, it eventually be, got, became called, uh, it was called an evening dinner theater. And then it became the Westchester Broadway Theater. Um, and they were doing these children's shows. And I had, oh, I'm sorry, I have to even go back further. I went to a Montessori school uh, for elementary Awesome. I'm jealous. So we had a, a principal, Mrs. Friedman. And Mrs. Friedman had made sure that we did hour-long plays every year. And we were, I was what? In kindergarten, I did The Wizard of Oz and I played the Scarecrow. And I was like, and I, I it's weird. I'm not doing a lot about like, uh, you know, everything just because of, of mortality right now. With COVID and um, I remember at five going and taking a sip and highlighting the lines I had as the Scarecrow. I was so excited. And I and I sang If You Only Had a Brain, and I did the whole thing. And then the next year, we did Peter Pan, 
um, and I played Peter. And then, you know, and we did the whole thing. And, and then the next year I was the, I mean, it couldn't be done anymore, but I was the king of Siam and the king and I, the blonde haired, blue eyed, uh, you know, yeah. So <laughs> but you had stage, but it must've been because you had presence, you had stage presence. Yeah. I, I love, and I, and I loved going up on the stage. And so who knows past life, maybe, I don't know. But at the same time, it was this whole, I, I this idea of acting. And so when the dinner theater came up, there was talk that they wanted to do children's shows. And so I got a, I was doing like the Wizard of Oz, but instead of playing the Scarecrow, I was obviously playing the Munchkin. Um, and then we did Mary Poppins, and I played uh, Michael Banks. And then we did all, we just did all these different shows, and I kept uh, playing all these roles. And one of the kids in one of the shows had a manager, and the manager came and said, "I'd love for you to come." And next thing you know, I was auditioning for commercials and little things here and there. And then my big break was Coastal Disturbances, uh, which you know. And you know, I made that, but then I made a couple of movies, and then we decided I wanted to be a kid. We decided they decided, decided I wanted to be a kid. So, go ahead, Buzz. I was just going to say, um, uh, when how old were you when you uh, booked Coastal Disturbances? I was eleven. Eleven. So you was, were eleven, and was that off Broadway or Broadway? It was off Broadway first. It was at Second Stage, um, but it got. A tremendous review from Frank Rich at the time, uh, a lot because of Annette and Tim. Um, and suddenly everyone and their mother was coming to the show. So coming backstage, I got to meet Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward. Oh. Yeah. Remember people like, who's the most famous person you've met? I'm like, I'm going to win. And, yeah, you really are. <laughs> uh, then, you know, after it was, it was only a, uh, supposed to be like a two or three month run. Uh, they closed, but there was still the demand. So they, the, the artistic directors, Carol Roth and Robin Goodman, went uh, out to sell the show, and we ended up getting booked at uh, Circle in the Square on Broadway. And, you know, then it was, I was with the show from, it opened, I want to say it was on Valentine's Day of 1987. And then I left in September to go do Running on Empty. And uh, then I was done. I went, I think a year later, I did a small role in a movie called Slaves of New York. But after that, I was just like, I, I was I was burnt out. I was I was I was done. Um, I was having trouble with kids because you know twelve is a tough age, and there were, there was some bullying around that. So it was it was it was not easy. And I think a lot of those issues came into my life when it came to trying to please people. And mm-hmm. yeah, with mixing that with Paul uh, saying you have to earn your spot. To stay the next year it was it's not like you're getting kicked out for plagiarism you're getting kicked out because they don't think that right so but how did you pick to paul did you apply to a bunch of places i did um i i applied i'm trying to remember i didn't apply to i wanted to be in a city so i didn't apply to nyu because i wanted to get out of new york in the fact that i had felt that i was going to return to new york no matter what and i wanted to live somewhere else and Oh God, I'm, 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 I'm going to try and remember everybody who was there. Uh, so I, I got into Boston University and I was sure I was going to go there because the person in the audition, after my audition, they, they told me on the spot I, was, I had a spot. And then they said, we're going to send information for you scholarship wise on the way because there was no way I could afford uh, BU on my own. And it never came. So, so they shined you on? 
Yeah, it, it was it was just a little sad thing. The funny thing is that I ended up going to NYU, which is even more expensive than Boston University. <laughs> but uh, but it was it was at, at that time. But the thing was, I ended up we ended up going to we booked tickets to go to Chicago to, to check out uh, DePaul, and I remember seeing. I went and I, I I talked to some of the professors, and I went and saw a studio production in one of the classrooms. I want to say the name of the piece was the robe and i remember dorcas and dorcas Dorcas blew my mind in that piece and i actually went home and i had been really depressed about bu because i was sure that that was where i was going i was telling everybody at school i'm going to boston university um but i ended up we went back to the hotel room and i went this is it where i want to go if this is if this is the type of work and like they, they took me to the goodman and i know the goodman the the, the what's the theater what's the theater the Earl Ruskin. Earl Ruskin. Earl, thank you and and so i was like i'll have a i'll have a real stage and it was it was it was amazing i was i was so excited um and i and i and i was sold and so and did Dorcas ever know that that that, that she was yeah. that influence she passed away right did she? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, of cancer, I believe, a couple oh, years back. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. I, I thought you guys knew. I know. No. This is like one of those things where it's like, yeah, she she passed away. But but um, did she know how influential? Yeah. She, uh, oh. So uh, I was I was adopted by the girls who were doing For Colored Girls by Antizaki Shange uh in in at the theater and so like they they would just they i basically became their errand boy and they, they would send me around to do things for them but like they 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 i was i don't know i, I loved it when i was what 18 year old kid who was like oh, all the girls are being nice <laughs> So cute. So do you remember uh, what shows you did in your first, uh, I guess we didn't do a show in our first year, maybe, but what show did no. you do in the second year? Oh, gosh. Um, I know we did Police Story. Uh, oh, I was in that with you. That's yeah, right. I was a shoplifter. You were a shoplifter. Lee Grant in the movie. And I, and I, was, the, and I was the detective. TJ, I'm sorry, Tate, uh, was, the, uh, was the, the detective. Um, Who directed that? Bill Conti? No, something Conti. Uh, Mitch Conti? Mitch Conti? Lou. Lou Conti. Lou Conti. Lou Conti. Um, and I ended up getting a part. I ended up not doing another studio. I ended up getting a part in an actual big show. I cannot remember the professor's name. Uh, older professor. He taught later on. Uh, Osselhoff? It wasn't, it wasn't Hostel Prof, as I remember him being. <gasps> the best name i've never heard that heard that that's amazing was it joe slowick yes it was slowick it was slowick and so like i had i had like two or three lines and uh and it was fine it was it was it was a nothing thing it was a the the fifth horse uh yeah and i just i was i played a servant and i came on and said one or two lines and, and but it was my credit for that and it was fine it was it was it was nothing they they needed somebody to play and they they wanted him to look young and i was already but from from when I started smoking, I had already lost. Uh, I was 127 pounds, so I was I was a I was this weight, and so I looked young and thin, and and probably a little sickly, which was perfect because I was playing. I, I was a surf actually. I was a Russian surf. So what about at NYU? What shows did you do there? We didn't really. We so there there were there were issues with uh, actually doing. They didn't. We were we did a. I, I got put in the Meisner studio. 
which the professor of the Meisner studio it was having real issues with the administration of the school. And so, and she, and she was, she had, um, issues, a, a lot of issues. Um, but she, uh, she would start to say, we're going to do a show and then we would never do it. And then, yeah, uh, we, I ended up doing Hurley Burley, which was great, which was a lot of fun. Um, but we were like supposed to do, uh, is it rumors. Is that the one from by Neil Simon? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and because like two kids didn't memorize their lines on time, she canceled the whole thing. And like all the parents caused this big stink and she ended up losing her job. Uh, it was, it was this whole enormous. So would you say that the theater school was not alone in its share of political weirdness, the theater school at DePaul? So NYU sounds like it had its own weirdness. Oh, there, there, were, there were, I definitely had issues with NYU. I mean, one of the things is that we were told one of the, the benefits of NYU was that at the end of your senior year, you would have, you would do a, a, a scene and they would have agents there and agents would be able to look at you and see whatever. And you audition for it. And a bunch of us were told like, no, you're not, you're not, we're not using yours. We're not using yours. When they told us originally, everyone was going to get a spot uh, or at least that, that's how it had been in the past. And so, you know, it was, and so again, that pressure came back on you. Like you have to, when you have to audition to get an audition for an agent. So it became this, Real, oh my God! Yeah, so they're, they're always. I guess they were trying to prep you for the rejection that you're possibly going to experience, but you know. Well, here's my here's my problem with that is that I get that, and also we're still in school, so we're still students, so we're learning. And now, you know, as I'm in school, right, I'm getting an MFA right now in television and screenwriting, and I have to thank you. I have to you gave a thumbs up. Uh, uh, I have to remember, like, wait. And I'm looking back at my guests and stuff at, for podcasts. We were we were students. We were young, young people, students learning. We weren't in the real world, and that's why we were in school to not be in the real world. Right. right. So, and, well, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no go, go ahead, Gina. Uh, I was going to say. So it. I mean, the whole thing about doing shows at, at DePaul was very prescribed. Like everybody does a show per term, either workshop or main stage. It sounds like it wasn't like that at Tisch. No, not not even slightly. I mean, every every there, Tisch was so many. There are so many different studios uh, at Tisch that you could go to. So you could go to the Meisner, which I don't know what ended up happening with Meisner. Uh, sorry, I live on the first floor, so there are kids like running through the streets. Okay. Of no um. Uh, there was Cap 21, Cap 21, Cap 27, I want to say, uh, which was the musical theater area, which is, I think, where Lady Gaga went. Uh, there's uh, there was uh, the Atlantic, the David Mamet studio. Right. There was, yeah. I don't think Meisner exists anymore. Oh, I, 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 she was fired the year that I graduated. So I don't know. I, and I didn't keep touch with many of my friends from, uh, from NYU other than Charlie, but that's, oh, and actually my, my best man, I actually met the day before we were graduating. Uh, he was my roommate's uh, boyfriend. So it was just this weird sort of coincidence anyway. Um, but the thing, yeah. So you, and I ended up going to, because all of my credits didn't transfer, uh, I had one more, I needed one more acting credit to graduate. So that summer, I went to, uh, oh my God, what was, what's her name? Uh, she was a member of the, uh, the, the, oh, and now, now I'm completely blanking out of them. Old person moment. Uh, she was a member of the group theater. She 
was American, but sounded like she was British because she. Oh, uh, Tina Landau or um, Tina Landau. um, um. Anyway, I, I don't, I don't, you know. It'll come to you later. Yeah. Like, like Strasburg, she, she was, she had her own school of acting that uh, starts with an A. Stella Adler. Oh, okay. Stella Adler. I, I did, I did go to, uh, I, I did take classes at HB uh, for a while, but you know, it, I. It, I felt like I was just going through the motions at that point. But anyway, uh, we did. I did a thing at Stella Adler, which was great, actually. I really had a good time. We did some Shakespeare, which is why I did it, because um, I love doing Shakespeare. And we didn't do full plays, but we did a we did scenes, um, and it was it was it was a lot of fun. I had a, I had a really good time. Uh, but yeah, that was there. There wasn't any pressure. It was it was just for that anyway. It was just let's do the show. And then I graduated. Did you do a showcase at the end? Yeah, we did a show. We did a showcase of our scenes, and I did the uh, the Richard the uh, Third, uh, Queen Elizabeth uh, scene, uh, which was just a, a, such a, a juicy. Yeah, um, a great scene. Yeah, it was. It was just so much fun, and and then and that's what I think back on when I think about like acting, and then going on auditions and hating every moment of it, of having to sell myself again, having to showcase. Who? Why you want? Why do you want me? Why do you need me? Right, yeah. I'm the right person for this show. When you know the, every, every actor would say, "No, no, that that's not what you do. You have to just be the moment, and they will see that." I yeah. mean, I think that that's yeah. One easier said than done, and two for people that are that are I would like to say sort of emotionally uh, astute beings. It's really weird to be like, "Oh, just be in the moment, but also do a good job and also remember your lines, but just relax." I mean, it's asking a lot of any human, especially a human, a younger human. And I'm just fascinated by the fact that you keep saying like, you know, it was fun to you and when it stopped being fun, was when it sounds like you were like, nope, time to pivot, you know, time to pivot. And I'm, and I'm interested in how you pivoted to teaching. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a direct pivot. It was, it was, I, I knew the, the, the voiceover thing was, was going away. I wasn't getting calls. I was working at a restaurant. I was taking reservations. I wasn't even working as a waiter. Um, I was taking reservations. I was pretty miserable. Uh, all the way around. I mean, I just met my to-be wife, and we were uh, living with each other in the Upper West Side. And I remember thinking, okay, I'm going to become a psychologist. My best friend, who I mentioned earlier, who I met right before NYU, he was an actor. He actually went went way. He he became a, a lawyer slash psychologist. He has his PsyD and JD. So he went. He's over the. And of course, he's 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 now a. a public defender in Brooklyn. So he's all this, he could be making oodles of millions, but he's doing the right thing. And, uh, uh, but uh, I was going to do that. But then I thought about the amount of school I'd have to go back through and the idea of having to do that. And I got to checking around at different schools. Oh, I, basically one day we were, we were sitting at a, we were already, actually, I'm sorry, we were already married. So it was 2006. We were sitting at a restaurant having brunch with my parents and this idea popped into Amanda's head about like, you love talking about, I was talking about Shakespeare. Um, and she was like, the way you talk about Shakespeare, I understand Shakespeare when you read it, you, you the way you, your eyes come to life when you speak about it, it, it makes me want to read it. And I hate Shakespeare. Um, and so I went in and okay, she doesn't really hate Shakespeare, but she, anyway, um, I went in and, uh, 
I started thinking about teaching and the idea of it was not, it, it was appealing, but it made me nervous. Um, I remember the first summer after I'd left DePaul, I went back to my high school and I ran to my favorite teacher who was not an English teacher, but an, my AP American history teacher, Dr. Micah. And he made a comment along the lines of, uh, you know, if the acting thing doesn't work, maybe teaching, you do have a presence in the classroom. And I said to him, Dr. Micah, I will never, ever, ever, never, ever, ever, never, ever, ever <laughs> never feel again unless it's for my own child's parent-teacher conference. And fast forward uh, 20-something years later, and here I am, uh, happier than a pig in excrement, uh, in doing just that. And to a certain extent, it's also, it's, I'm still performing every single day. A hundred percent. It requires so much energy to teach. You have to be really on. It's at high school you teach? I teach ninth grade, yeah. Wow. And so uh, when did you end up going to get your teaching degree? So it was shortly thereafter. And I sort of, you know, I, I applied to a bunch of schools. And one of the nice things that happened was not, not everyone was going to take it because I, I didn't have any education credits. And I didn't have a lot of English credits. But I had a ton of play reading play like the classes where we would go to what was the uh what was his name where we were sitting in that beautiful uh it, it was that lecture hall uh in oh uh, with the dean the the uh, dean taught he taught like a history oh, of white hair um yeah we yeah. were just trying to remember his name earlier i couldn't remember some irish name but i don't yeah. remember I remember he he and andrew finley were, were talking about like what's the difference between catholicism and episcopalianism and it was, it was this whole thing that they, they they both loved to talk about but um but i remember like th that class got me credits for english for teaching and uh some of the other classes that i would take whether it was at nyu or at uh, depaul got me all of these credits and it was it was fantastic so i was able to get my foot in the door at DePaul, I had to take a few extra, I was, I, not DePaul, at, at Brooklyn College, uh, I was able to take some uh, extra, uh, I had to take, I was on probation to start off because I didn't have any education classes, um, but they gave me all that stuff that I was in with undergraduates, and then finally, I moved on about three years later, I had my master's, and in the first couple of years of teaching, I was, my first year of teaching was the most miserable year of my entire life, I had no support, I was actually teaching illegally, I was in a, I, they hired me as a per diem sub, but I was teaching uh, special ed. Uh, uh, Whoa! And it was by myself, and you know, it was it was it was really, and I was just miser beyond miserable. I didn't teach the same class twice. The kids ate me alive. I didn't know what I was doing, um, and it was just like I was going to quit. And then I decided, you know what, I'm going to give this one more shot. I found the school in the Bronx that was not a, it was a failing school, but. I got the job and I found my connection with the kids. I found that I enjoyed to actually write lessons that the idea of, you know, suddenly I was not only an actor, but I was a writer. And if I didn't write it well, there is no better bullshit detector than a 14 year old, 15 year old kid. They yeah. when you do not really have it. And I, found my sea legs and from there on in it's been like nine i would say 99 out of 100 days i am so happy to be in the classroom and see the kids and like even with this now with i'm, I'm seeing very few kids because a lot of the I mean, we are we are going in but it's not 
uh, traditional teaching at the moment. But when I do get to see some of my former ninth graders, I get it, it's it, we we you know I made a joke. I had one student who for two years he's now in eleventh grade. He's finally taller than I am, and and I just gave him a ton of fish just because he was a, a how how dare he how dare he grow taller than I am. Um, um. Jonas, I have a question for you. When that first year, I'm so curious about this, when you were um, struggling so hardcore as a first year teacher, what kept you going? I didn't have a choice. I I, I felt like I felt like I, 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 if I quit, then that would end my career. I had just gotten through and I had gotten my master's. And what was the point of, you know, and I, and I went to therapy and I talked to somebody and, you know, and it's funny, the a couple of years later, uh, my therapist laughed and she's like, that first year, I didn't think you were going to make it. I, honestly, I didn't, I didn't, I, and I didn't think you might've been right for you. You were so, it, 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 it was, it was easily the worst year of my life. Uh, and hopefully stays the worst year of my life, but, uh, because the anxiety and the situational depression that I was going through. I mean, every day was just like, how do I get myself out of bed? How do I get myself to school? How do I do this? Because I feel like, and you know, and then and one wonderful thing happened, and I back in the day, the, you either got when you were observed. Because here, here's again, here again, I have to be someone has to come and judge me, right? It, I mean, there's to say it's an assessment so that we learn to make you a better teacher. But to me, judgment—they're right? here to judge me, um, and you either get satisfactory or an unsatisfactory. And I got my first unsatisfactory, and it destroyed me for about twenty minutes. And then I realized I had to go back to teaching when I'd heard about it, and I realized, you know, that was the worst that could happen. And we'll see what goes from there, but. And I ended up, you know, getting through that year. They didn't, I didn't stay at that school. I went to the school in the Bronx and figured it out uh, again on my own, but I didn't have the same conflicts. I was teaching the same class all week long. I was, didn't have five different classes that I had to, well, different things. Right? It wasn't like, it wasn't like now today I teach well, in a normal year at my school. Now I would teach five sections of ninth grade English. So every day, all five classes would get the same lesson. So I'd only have to write one lesson. I'd only have to grade one assignment. Um, I mean, 132 kids, but still only one. I wouldn't have to go from this assignment to that assignment to this assignment to that and, and deal with what class am I have right now? What am I supposed to be doing? Um, and so it, 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 I felt like I had to get through the year as much as I didn't want to and what ended up happening was that summer i decided you know what i'm gonna give myself one more year to find one more job and if the school doesn't if it doesn't work and i, I got lucky because even though it was a it was a, a not the best of schools uh, i only stayed there for two years before i jumped ship to go to another school which was a lot better um but the principal was a terror but liked me so I suddenly was like, okay, I can actually do what I need to do and not worry about. You had a champion. You had, had a champion. champion. Right. So I, I, I was, I was the guy who suddenly I was, I, I was all right. I, I, I felt 
like I could, I not that I could do no wrong, but at least I didn't have to worry about uh, walking on eggshells or or making sure that whomever I was speaking to, I didn't have to. I mean, I want. I, I was very aware of what I was saying, and you know, you never, you never want. I'm, I'm always a little nervous about saying the wrong thing at the wrong time and it coming back, and you know, but. I still felt like once I got had that and I found that I found me in the classroom. Right. And my big thing is I teach with humor and I teach with love. And if I can't do that, then I'm not, I'm not me. And so once I was able to be myself instead of, and I'm, I'm still playing a role, right? I mean, I, I, I wear, I wear a tie every day when I go to school, when I teach, and it's my costume because then I am Mr. Avery, the teacher, as opposed to Mr. Avery, the dad, uh, or Mr. Avery, or, or Jonas Avery, the dad, or Jonas Avery, the husband, or, you know, it, and so I get to play that role. And it, it's, and so you have these moments where you, you know, I go in and, and, and I and I'm the kids call me corny uh, because I I make tons of dad jokes, um, and I'll go into the classroom and I'll dab, just to, and then walk out. <laughs> That's cute. And then I and then I try badly on purpose to do the floss. And, oh no! Oh, and, the, and the kids just look at me and they're just like, oh my god! And, and there's yeah. you know, And then I'll tell a, a dad joke and they'll and they'll just be like, Mr. Avery, please. Well, it's it's so interesting to me that you have spent so much time worried. I mean, it's not like I don't understand it. Of course, I understand it, but that you spent so much time worried about being judged or your. And then you mentioned this principal who loved you because that was the experience of all of us at the theater school. We all loved you. You you have always been so eminently likable, and I have this like burgeoning sort of thought about. Um, the that somebody I know would call it the actor schmactor. So like the actor schmactor is real self-involved, really good at self-promotion, right. which is something I think all three of us have struggled with. Um, and and th there's like seemingly no conflict about it. It's like, yeah, I'm great. And, you know, like there's not a lot of, I, I, some of the more successful actors don't seem to have a lot of angst. I mean, they may feel insecure and they may feel worried about judgment, but they don't necessarily seem to feel, you know, wrought with, <laughs> with, with worries and concerns. And I, I almost right. to a person, if you go down the list of people that we went to school with, you know, the people who worried about these kinds of things, struggle with these kinds of things are all people who ended up doing, if, if not completely something else, just a version of this theater or acting life that is not quite what we thought it was going to be when we started school. And um, anyway. Yeah. I find that fascinating. It's so fascinating. The pivoting, the, those of us that, those of us that struggled in the, like the confidence really it's confident, it, but it goes beyond confidence. It's sort of, dare I say it borders on blowhardiness, blowhardedness. And, but that is celebrated. Right. And those of us who are, felt like a little people pleasy and like what do I what do I have to offer we 
you kind of get shit on. You kind of do because people are like, oh, they're weak or they're they're they need too much. So let's not promote them. Let's not build them up. And I think that's garbage. <laughs> yeah, it is garbage. I agree. I, mean, I agree wholeheartedly. And um, I, I remember uh, I went on a voiceover audition, and when I first got picked up by that agency, uh, and I was feeling like 10 feet tall. Right. I, I, I now, I now was going to be going out and, and, you know, my life was about to change. I was about to become much richer and not have to worry about the restaurant job and I, everything was going to be good. And I remember I walked into this commercial for, I want to say it was Pampers or, uh, or, or, or I don't know what it was, but it was like, it was a voiceover of a baby and they wanted someone who sounded older and rougher. And so I did my thing with about the, I don't know if I made myself sound like Tom Waits or whatever, but I, I did something with my voice and whatever. And I felt good about it. And, and I was in the, and the casting agent uh, said, okay, thank you. That was great. And I was like, cool. See you soon. And I walked out and I went, Oh my God, why did I say that? That's not me. That's not like, it was as if like, and I felt disgusted with myself because it felt phony, and it may have come off phony. I don't know because it wasn't, um, it wasn't my natural reaction. The right? see you soon part, like see you on set, kind of a situation. Like, you're gonna be, you're gonna be seeing a lot of me, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm that good. I'm, I'm your guy. Did you get the job? Oh God, no. <laughs> uh, oh, that's funny. Uh, so I, I don't think I ever went back to that agency. Actually, so it's like I, I definitely did not make the grade greatest first impression with, 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 with running on empty. So, uh, I was doing coastal disturbances at the time and we, all of us, I mean, our, everybody in that show was getting auditions that we had, they were coming out of, everybody was coming to, they wanted us. We, we were, we were a hot ticket. Um, and like super movie stars were coming to see us. Directors were coming to see us. People were like, okay. And obviously Annette was the one who flew off the charts and started working gangbusters. Um, but uh, for me, I got an audition. I guess Sidney Lumet came and saw it and wanted me for this film, but they were still working out the other characters. And they had hired uh, – River was like the first person hired. And then Christine Lottie came later, and they didn't want to – they wanted to hire me, but they didn't think that I looked enough like them. So they, they, they were sort of like – they kept bringing me back. And finally my mother called and said uh, – or she had the agent call and said, don't keep bringing Jonas Avery back in if you're not going to offer it to him. And then we got a call that I didn't get it. And then uh, I guess what happened, ended up happening is they got Judd to play the dad, and they realized that I could be Judd's son. And that's when they were like, okay, we can bring Jonas in. And so I, that's how that worked. Uh, and it was, a, it was a great experience, but it was just – you know, thing, things were a lot, a lot of fun. River was was a great big brother. I was a, I was I'm an only child, and he treated me like a big brother uh, in good ways and in bad ways. Uh, he treated me no different than his uh, littlest sister, Summer Joy, was there, and so uh, she he he would we would I remember there was one point when he Martha Plimpton and I were rehearsing over uh, on let's say it's like 19th Street and Broadway, uh, and we would. I had these, someone had given me at Coastal, these water balloons uh, that looked like grenades. And we were filling up water balloons and dropping them on people. And especially River wanted to make sure that we were dropping them on people wearing business suits. So we were, we were just dropping these water balloons. And I was, they, this was, this was the life I was, I was, uh, I was having so much fun. And then we filmed it and things were good. Uh, and then we moved to, we 
finished filming in Florida. And I, I don't remember like much of the actual filming. I didn't have as big a role. So they would tell me when I was there, but I wasn't going to school at the time. So it was on set most days. Uh, I just wasn't filming and they had a tutor with me. So I would be there and basically this tutor was like, you need to know the news. So she would like pull out the New York times. And that's basically what we did. We would read the New York times every day. Um, thing I also remember is it was right when Bad came out and she was a huge Michael Jackson fan. So we would sit there and listen to it and I was like, it's okay. It's, I, 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 <laughs> Jonas, I, I, is that right? Yeah, he's okay. This Michael Jackson fellow. Oh no, I, I was like huge. I mean, I was, what, I was eight when Thriller came out and oh, so- uh, Thriller Mania was just like, Oh, but you weren't, it was bad that you weren't so into. Yeah. You're into Thriller. Gotcha. You were a connoisseur, just not. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I, I have, I, I'm, yes, I'm a connoisseur. So I, we asked this question and I want to ask it of you is if someone, you know, a kid, how about a kid in your classroom? is like, I want to go to theater school. I want to go to, what would you say? Um, I, 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 who am I to ruin someone's dream? You know, it's, and who knows that things have changed. I mean, some of us, uh, who did not have the greatest uh, theater school experiences uh, may have gone back to theater school as a teacher or a professor and have learned and, and tried to change it, right? So you don't have the, the people who you might find as a, as a, a pompous ass in the room who... Uh, who a bully. A bully who, who shit on the kids who aren't, you know, in the moment. Um, and, and so, you know... I, I don't get many. I mean, the, the wonderful one of the things about the school I'm at is uh, it's what's what's called a CTE school, and so the kids there are learning architecture and and, uh, and engineering as well wow. uh, English and math and social studies and science. So most of these kids have the plan to go into uh, engineering, uh, 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 civil engineering, uh, architecture, uh, construction, but wow. not, not doing the construction like you know management construction management and it's 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 so a lot of these because every once in a while i get a kid who's an actor who's like what was your experience like and i was like it was okay it wasn't great and i mean but but i also get kids who are immediately they because they don't know right they, they immediately go because i tell them right away I'm, i was an actor and i fell in love with teaching and i stopped being an actor and they every year there's always that one kid who's like but you could be a millionaire right now and i was like but i'm not and I wasn't, and I didn't enjoy it. And it's like when you go to bed at night, you want to put your head down and say, I'm happy. And then when you wake up in the morning, you want to say, I'm good where I'm going. And if, you, if, you're, if you're sitting there worrying about, God, when's that next audition coming? Or when, when hey, am I going to be able to, I mean, right now, God, I, I, I think about, you know, the, the thing I'm doing for Coastal Disturbances is for the Actors Fund. All these poor actors who are now, you know, who are, I think about actors who finally got that big break in, in a show, uh, whether it's off-Broadway or Broadway, or someone was going to come see it, and now suddenly, boom. Nothing. Nothing. Not, and, and who knows when Broadway is going to reopen. And... And it's harder with television and movies, and they're doing stuff a little bit now, but you still can't do the real stuff. You can't. You can't. So it's 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 sad. And yeah, it is sad. It is sad. When you were, 
when you were talking about going to the city with your mom from Westchester and having an audition and getting your pretzel. So my son is, he likes to act. And so we do a fair amount of that. He started doing it when he was like five or six. So he went for a bunch of commercials and he told, he's 14 now. He told me recently, I thought that the auditions were the jobs. So he ne- he never knew this whole concept of you get it or you don't get it. Right. Because I guess I didn't talk to him about it. And so he, once he learned, which wasn't until he had stopped doing it first time around, once he learned that it was this competition that he didn't get 95 times, he was like, Oh, well, that's terrible. <laughs> and I, I think I was the same way. I, I, I remember going on my first audition and I walked out of there. I'm like, what now? And my mom was like, we're going to another audition. I was like, okay. And I didn't. And, you know, and then I finally got my first commercial, which was a 7-Eleven commercial. And like, I remember there was the, there was a girl in there with me who was maybe a couple of years older. I was eight when I started doing this. And so she was maybe 11 or 10 or 11. And she had already done something like 73 commercials. And, wow. and and she was raking it in and I was like, what do you do with all that money? And she's like, my parents think it's for college. And so <laughs> it was this thing though. And I remember I was under these hot lights and it was, I was supposed to be drinking the Slurpee and it was made of styrofoam. So it wouldn't melt under the hot lights. And they kept having me walk with the Slurpee with it. And I was like, I'm dying. And they had to pat me down because I was sweating profusely. And it was, just, and then they finally aired the commercial and you could only see like the back of my head. And I was just like, ah, but yeah. But, but, I, but it paid a bunch, I bet. What was that? I bet it paid a lot. Oh, even though you didn't pay back I think I think some of my college got paid off from it. Uh, I don't know how much. Uh, but, you know, and I remember thinking, and this is when I knew that I was kind of done with it, was I was looking at, I heard a story about the guy who back in the day was doing promos uh, for HBO. So he would every two or three weeks go into the studio and he would be like, next on HBO. Uh, tonight on HBO. And then he would just name the movie and the stars like uh, John Travolta and uh, Uma Thurman in Pulp Fiction next on HBO. And so, and he was making like $2 million a year. Wow. Because he was the voice of HBO. And I began to think to myself, oh my God, that would be the cush gig. I'm like, but that's money. And it's not what I want to do. It's I want to act. I want to be, and it, it became this, this, the, the the fun part and and even even the fun part when I like I helped start an off off Broadway theater company and we were doing shows and I and I just I was doing it but you know it wasn't getting my career anywhere and I was not having fun because like I needed it it wasn't about the process anymore it was about the end where where how is this going to take my my career to the next with teaching it's always about the process where can I get the kid to the next step, right? We don't give grades based on, you know, I do based on a rubric, but but, we, but we're but we looking at each kid and we're going, okay, where is this kid right now and where does this kid need to be? And that's where we're working with each student. And that's the process. And at the end, the goal is that when they get to the next grade, that next teacher can say, okay, where are they now and how can I get them to this spot? And it becomes, there is a goal in sight, right? I do have, a curriculum map that has, this is where I want these kids to be 
with their end result. I want them to write a five paragraph essay using two different pieces of evidence to back up each claim in each paragraph. And you know, so that's where I want them to be at the end of the year. But how do I get them there? And what's it going to take for me to get Joey from each kid, here, right here, as opposed to uh, Talia from here to there? So you have all of these different. And it's and it, it becomes this 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 wonderful practice of letting these kids know how much you care and how much you love them because you do you love them even the ones that drive you batshit crazy you, you you think back on them and you go God that kid was batshit crazy <laughs> I wish I had you as a teacher I'm just thinking I just think that you're probably so phenomenal in the classroom and I would love to watch that one day. So I'm going to pop in do you, do you, for kids at home. I'm going to zoom bomb you and watch, okay. but there you go. I, I mean, Oh, wow. I will say just in your note about process. I mean, I, I, I get what you're talking about. I do think it is still very process oriented in theater. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, because there's no stakes, <laughs> like no, nobody's making any money. So we might as well do what we like and have fun. Um, but yeah, everything that's not that. And and that was a big uh, surprise for me about the theater school is that by the last year, we weren't talking about theater anymore. We were only talking about film and TV. And I, I, that really surprised me. Everybody else seemed to see it coming, but it really surprised me. And um and it was the least fun part of my whole four years there. I, I, I mean, I, I look back on DePaul and I think about I think about the good times. I think about Apartment Three. I think about uh, I think about uh, you know just sitting on the veranda with Eric and Dan and Cassie and Heather and just like and and eventually Bridget and just like relaxing and and you know, smoking a lot of cigarettes, uh, having rent parties, uh, that we did, uh, you know, and, and, and the funny thing is that I don't think a lot about the education. I think about that class. I think about some of the, the actual classes that I took, uh, but the actual academic classes, I remember the one that, uh, <laughs> that everybody was telling me to, uh, to, you know, don't do well because I was the curve. Uh, was the, the, the history teacher, and like, and so like we would, there was incredibly hard multiple choice questions and and all this stuff, and I just I just remember, uh, that I remember that I don't I remember a little of Rick I remember a little of John John Jenkins J- J- Jim John, yeah John, John Jenkins mm-hmm. um I remember uh, he and I had a, a blowout at one point that and I, I'm pretty sure that one of the reasons why. Because I, I, I kind of told them that because uh, it was scene study and I actually said something along the lines of, what are we actually going to do scene study? Because we were just, I, I think I, it, and I feel like that was probably the beginning of my end because it was, I, I, I kind of, I, I, you mentioned that I was the moral high ground. I think I, I went a little too far on that one, but. Uh, I remember being in awe. I think I was in that class yeah. and I remember being like, this is, a, Jonas is a bad ass but, and that's not always rewarded, right? You were a rebel. I mean at the theater school or other institutions like that it is out of i am rarely i mean yes if i if i feel something i'll say it but i'm rare especially to a, a figure of authority it, it's just it's just not my my way i think I, I think i just i just broke I, we were doing um oh god uh 
what's the one the, with the guy from Mr. Robot who wrote Michael Christopher, uh, uh, the shadow box, uh, yeah. dancer. Yep. And, and I, I think he, he made a comment and I was like, aren't we supposed to be like breaking down the lines and doing this stuff? Why, why, why are we just going up there and saying them? Why, why we need to learn the beats? How do we, what, what, what am I supposed to do? Cause that's how I, I had been taught acting when I was actually acting, you know, what is your beat? What is your moment in this moment? Right. You can't have the same moment twice. You have to have a different moment every moment. And so he wasn't saying that. And, you know, and I and I think I just sort of cracked after one day and who knows. But uh, well, was, I think you it all worked out in the way that it was supposed to. Oh, yeah. I'm, I and, and, that, and that's and that's the thing is that I did survive theater school and I thrived. And that's, you know, isn't that the really the goal is not yes. to survive. It's to thrive. Yes. If we, if we are Amen. lucky. Amen. Thank that's you. a great oh, that's a great note to end on Jonas thank you so much, thank you so much. Survive Theater School is an Undeniable Inc. production. Jen Bosworth Ramirez and Gina Polici are the co-hosts. This episode was produced, edited, and sound mixed by Gina Polici. Follow us on Instagram at Undeniable Writers or on Twitter at Undeniable W-R-I-T-1. That's Undeniable Write without the E-1. Thanks. Thanks.